Welcome and thanks for listening to another episode of Zero Cafe. In this episode, I talk with Andrea Corvi, Experimentation Manager at iTech Media. iTech is a company that works for a host of clients, all owned by the same mother company. So they sort of function as an in-house agency for different in-house clients. Today, we talk about working with the centralized versus decentralized Zero model. My name is Guido Janssen and welcome to Zero Cafe, the podcast where I show you the behind the scenes of optimization teams and talk with their specialists about data and human-driven optimization and implementing a culture of experimentation and validation. In case you missed it, in the previous episodes, I spoke with Marianne Gianval from the TUI Group and we spoke about the six steps to create an experimental culture. You can listen to that episode on the Zero Cafe website or in the podcast app you're listening with right now. This episode of Zero Cafe is made possible by our partners SiteSpect, Content Square, Convert.com and Online Dialogue. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 21. So Andrea, thanks for joining us. And before we dive into today's topic, we of course like to know how you ended up working with Zero. Of course. Um, so I'm Italian and I started working in Paddy Power Betfair in the e-gaming team, basically. What we were doing was like bonuses, slots, um, and I was managing a lot of the database queries, um, promotions, calculation, this kind of stuff. But I always had a passion for UI, UX, coding. I developed some apps on Android as well. So I had this opportunity to move to Dublin uh, and joining their CRO uh, team, basically. It was like a small team, um, but it was definitely quite interesting for me. So I decided to take the leap yeah. and I moved to Dublin from, from Rome. Uh, I worked there for like one year and then I moved to London in the Petfair office and I kept doing CRO. And then I basically decided to move to iTech and I've been there for like two years managing their end-to-end process basically for optimization okay and now i manage a team of five that are doing basically optimization the whole day okay and so what did you learn from the from the gambling industry i think that's 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 a quite interesting uh also socially uh the social interaction there and 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 how the how people interact with uh with those kind of uh, um, games online i definitely learned a lot um it was actually a very good experience because the Italian business was set up as a startup. So I get basically to learn from insights team. Uh, I'm an engineer, I study engineering. So there was a lot of nice like insights based on like, you can imagine how much data you can collect in like a bookmaker, all the spins, all the interaction with the games, all the promotions, marketing, there was like multiple channels. So it was like pool of data and for a person like me that was like insane i really loved it yeah um but i always wanted to make changes to the product you know when you when you're there you see oh actually we could do this differently and i had no power to have an impact on that this is why then moving into a zero position it was like a dream come true because then i could start influencing roadmaps or start to prove that actually we might have a better user experience and that will lead to better results or better conversion rates or more revenue basically yeah yeah i also always found it interesting um uh, i used to visit uh, magento conferences in uh, in vegas and and being in that th- those kinds of area where there's a lot of gambling uh it's always really interesting how they um, also pay a lot of attention to how the building is set up uh that there's 
really hard to find an exit <laughs> for example yeah. um how they, how they arrange all the gambling machines uh, to maximize and I, think, and I think actually you're right the the biggest learning that was very important at the start of my career was to start thinking about the psychology of of, of the customer yeah. um, and you need to really think with with their brain or see things with their eyes because sometimes you might want to um, make a change that actually just looks better but it's not functional for the way they interpret gambling and you have no idea how many tests in the beginning i was actually failing just because of that but then when you start tweaking your mindset and you start actually um, becoming closer to the user is there when you start seeing like winners or you start seeing like shifting the needle in terms of uh, metrics yeah so i now at, uh, at itech you have a, a team of five so how does Shiro yes. at itech uh, what does it look like Yes. So um, basically, I decided to move to iTech because iTech is a heavily CRO-focused company. Um, basically, when I joined iTech, there was a team, a smaller team. Uh, the company was smaller because it's, um, it's a young company and it's still growing. And we were working as, I would say, like a typical setup. I'm not going to get lost too much in the jargon, but basically, we had a team that was responsible for A-B testing. And every request or every test that was supposed to be run in the company um, was our remit, basically. Um, and then as the company grows, as the products grow, uh, then you start feeling the need for a change, a structural, structural change. Um, and this is why we moved from, I would say, like a centralized center of uh, excellence, um, just because we used to be the go-to people in the business for every change in the product, or we used to act more like as a consultant sometimes. Um, so we moved from this type of setup to um, an agile type of setup. Um, so we inspired ourselves a bit to the Spotify model, even though it's not um, copy and paste, because that yeah. would definitely not work. Um, and now we have experimentation chapters embedded in each of the squads that we have within the company. So it's a big change, and it's still... Um, in ongoing. Um, the idea is to get probably by the next year into an hybrid model where we're going to have a center of excellence, so people with high expertise in conversion rate optimization and the entire company, so each other chapter doing their experiments and we just work, support them as consultants. So this is more or less the, the idea. So at the moment, we are, I would say, halfway through. Okay, so and so, what do you say? So and, uh, a lot of companies, uh, you say, work with um, a, a centralized... Uh, um, Structure, yeah. Yeah, st st team of, of experts yeah. uh, that are the go-to for everything uh, surrounding uh, the experiments. So why do most companies end up doing that, you think? Uh, well, the centralized structure is very effective, especially when you are like a small company. Um, you basically have everything you need within the same team. Communication is great by default um, because it's a small team and you always basically are next to each other the whole day, which is great from a zero point of view. Um, but then as soon as you start growing, you lose contact with product because then teams start to grow. <clears throat> so this shift, uh, I would say, is almost necessary most of the times from my experience, just because you need to be closer to the product, which means to be closer to the user, which means to be closer to the end goal, which is in improving metrics. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's, that's my take. There are pros and cons as in everything. Um, what I can tell you is that you lose a bit of space, of 
um, when when you migrate to a decentralized structure because um, an idea that we would <clears throat> build or design in, I don't know, say a week, and um, it might take two or three weeks now because you start having sprints because of the Agile framework, because you start having four or five different chapters involved in the process and every step you add into the into the workflow is obviously slowing you down. Uh, on the other hand, quality usually goes up and there's a bit more structure in what you do. So you end up with, I would say, less. What, what happens when you have like a um, centralized structure sometimes is that you start pushing stuff to the site and each time you use maybe different designers. So the design is not consistent or the coding um, standards or guidelines are different because you use several contractors. Um, when you move into a decentralized structure, it's way more consistent, so it's more future-proof in that sense. Werk je aan een front-end AB-test en heb je ook last van de bekende flikkeringen in je variaties? Dit kan natuurlijk je testresultaten beïnvloeden en een positief testresultaat neutraliseren. Probeer Convert.com's AB-testing software die Smart Insert technologie gebruikt en die flikkeringen voorkomt. Vijf keer snellere support via 24-7 chat, de helft goedkoper en het bedrijf is daarnaast maar liefst 15 keer carbon positive. Je doet dus jezelf, je bedrijf en de volgende generatie een plezier door hun website convert.com slash sneller eens te bezoeken. Oké, okay, so, but, but that, I guess that depends also on how your, how you are decentralized, if, if you're a centralized model and you have that designer in-house, uh, in, in that small uh, centralized team. Yes. Um, then that's that that can be fine. Yes, but it, 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 it's true. But the the only but the, the only obviously depends on the company where you are and the setup. Um, but mm. I guess if you have a product team, and then you have a decentralized CRO team, inconsistencies might still happen because if you in in a decentralized team, even if you have a designer, there might be other two or three designers working in say in an agile way yep. in the product team. And there might be, you know, lack of communication in that sense. So this might still lead to differences in, I don't know, like the the brand guidelines that they use or assets, or it might actually duplicate the work as well. It's not effective in that sense or efficient. Yeah, but then if you if you decentralize it, more and more people get involved. Uh, I would expect communication to become harder. It is. And, and uh, consistency to become harder, yeah. Yeah, I mean, consistency to me, in my experience, obviously, this all depends on, on the on the company. I think consistency for us went better. Um, way better, I would say. Even like the QA in general is, is, is a bit easier. Um, but the process itself gets slower because the communication gets slower yeah. because there's more people involved. Okay, and so if if you go to a new company, a new company asks uh, you guys to to come in and uh, work with them, um, do you always ad, uh, advise them to go for decentralized model or the, the Spotify model, or does it also depend on the company? Do you do you advise depending on the company if they go for the decentralized or the centralized model? Oh yeah, definitely. There's no there's not like a the, the best model. It depends on the level of maturity first of all in this CRO program. Okay. Um, it depends on the type of expertise that you have in the business. Usually, if you want to get low-hanging fruits and you want to be as quick as you can to push changes live and test stuff, probably the centralized model is the quickest way to achieve the result. If you then start working in a bit more structured way and there's a lot of stakeholders involved, probably with the decentralized um, type of structure, it might be helpful to achieve better results. Okay. 
And so, and, and can you also tell us, uh, tell us something about the type of company? Does it, uh, you say the maturity of the company? So how do you guys measure <laughs> that, uh, that, that maturity? How do you go in and, and decide if you go for centralized or decentralized? Um, well, it, I take media, even though uh, my seems like an agency, it works with just one um, client. So we basically manage the um, end-to-end process for those products which means that it's not like a typical agency type of work. So we don't, we don't get to make this choice, basically, if that makes sense. Okay, yeah. um, so imagine like you own, I don't know, like 100 sites and you optimize them uh, end-to-end. So in that case, it's not like a choice of, okay, which model do I apply? In general, if I was working for a typical standard agency, um, I will definitely uh, look at the structure, uh, have a chat with their teams and try to understand which model will do um, the best job. Just to give an understanding, say, uh, Paddy Power Betfair, we used to work um, in a centralized way, uh, but then it shifted normally towards a decentralized one. And that's just because when you have um, mature teams, um, it, it, it will just get natural because there's too many other stakeholders and projects involved that you need to embed the experimentation within the squads, within the team. Otherwise, would you, there's, 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 gonna, there's always going to be like clashing between the zero activity and the products. Yeah. Unless you're very good at keeping obviously communication and everybody aligned. So, so what are the biggest challenges that you see when going from that uh, centralized to decent on, on the on the client side? What are, what are their biggest challenges on doing this? Well, first of all, you need to start uh, with the evangelization of zero, and you need to get everybody in squads um, basically happy and excited about experimentation. And this is sometimes a long process. Until you work in a centralized way, everybody is aware of what experimentation is, why you need to run experiments and how to do it. But then when you start doing this at the squad level or a tribe level or a company-wide level, then you need people to understand experimentation. And it's a process that takes time to get everybody uh, to the same level or a very good level like, um, of experimentation knowledge. Okay, so do you guys have like exercises for people involved or uh, or how, how do you approach this? Yes, uh, first of all, we, we now try to involve everybody since day one when there is a project that involves A-B testing. Mm-hmm. Um, being in squads, that's actually um, uh, very, I would say easier than when you work in a centralized model. Um, so we try to get everybody involved since, since the first steps. And this helps in getting their buy-in or getting their, their, their ideas or their feedback on stuff. And we try to work as much as we can as a one single entity towards every project, experimentation included. Um, so by, there's a continuous stream of activities that we try to put in place to make sure that everybody knows about experimentation. And my take is that you need to um, take a different approach depending on the chapter, say developers. Uh, if you have to talk to front-end developers about experimentation, you need to tailor the communication because they're all interested in different aspects of the experimentation activity. So you need to, to be more effective, I would say you need to treat them as obviously separate entities and then get everybody um, up to speed with with the experimentation program. Okay, so basically you need to do personalization, but internally for exactly. <laughs> for people that you work with. Exactly. Okay, so are 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 there any things that you see that that continuously need effort in this? I mean, you, you you're going to do this transition from uh, centralized to decentralized. 
Um, hopefully, you get every, everyone uh, trained and, and used to to working like that. But are there things that continuously need efforts um, uh, to keep this rolling? Yes. Uh, well, first of all, the sharing learnings is something that helps in keeping everybody hooked to the experimentation um, train. Uh, because when you see results of your job, uh, you get purpose of, of what you do and why um, A-B testing is, is very important. Um, also, um, being, I would say, cutting edge in as much as you can, obviously, in the activities that you do is important as well because it excites people um, of what they do. So, for instance, we we are now migrating most of the products to server-side testing, and this is something that for developers was very important. It improved a lot their workflow. Uh, it's way more interesting from a coding perspective. <laughs> yeah. uh, it gives them more flexibility, um, and this is something that helps. Uh, same with designers, like when you start working on projects that are uh, more interesting or uh, they involve like the latest trends and stuff, you will obviously get them more interested in the experimentation activity. Uh, it's, it's, there's, there's a lot of things that you need to keep up and put in place. But <clears throat> at the end of the day, like what we really want to achieve is that everybody thinks experimentation and, and this is this is all towards that goal. Sidespec biedt wereldwijd een unieke AB-testing personalisatie en product recommendation oplossing. Sidespec werkt server-side, dus zonder tags of scripts, waardoor een optimale performance gegarandeerd is. De Sidespec-oplossing elimineert vertragingen en kans op flikkereffecten. Tevens zorgt deze aanpak ervoor dat de huidige en toekomstige browser security regels, zoals ITP en ETP, geen impact hebben op het AB-testen en personaliseren met Sidespec. Voor meer informatie hierover ga je naar sidespect.com. Looking forward, uh, what are the things you guys are working on for the next 12 months? What are you looking forward to to change or optimize? What are you working on right now? Um, so yeah, as I mentioned, we are migrating uh, most of the sites, at least the most important ones, to our server side testing, which is yeah. an interesting project. <laughs> in- interesting, as in <laughs> interesting project because uh, you know when you go server side, there's a lot of backend um, involved, and yeah. we have multiple. Um, website, websites or multiple CDNs. So everything, every site basically has a different setup. So there's a lot of people involved. It's, um, it's an interesting project. Uh, there's a lot to learn from that. Um, and then I would say the usage of data is something that we need to improve um, because, again, when you go to, into a decentralized model, then you need more or less everybody to think in an experimentation way. So using the data, both qualitative and quantitative, type of research that you have uh, to come up with ideas or to analyze tests. So this is something that uh, I really hope that in the next 12 months will uh, improve. So it will get us closer to the hybrid model that we want to achieve. And that's, I think that's pretty much the top two points that, and obviously more tests, but that's, that's, that's valid for (laughs) almost everybody. Yeah. Yeah. So, but how do you do this? How do you do, how do you unlock the data? What kind of tools do you, do you use that everyone in the company has insights in in customer behavior? Yes. So, first of all, you need to make the tools accessible to everybody, and this is something that we already did. So everybody can access the data. But then you need to train people, and you need to um, try to explain to them what's the most effective way to use the data. Because if you are a data savvy person, you you might even want to spend one hour in front of your of your laptop or more to, to just drill, drilling down to the data and trying to find what, you, what you're looking for. 
But if you are a chapter that is a bit more, let's say, less data savvy or you're not interested in digging into the data, then you need to provide them with um, the right infrastructure to get what they want in a quick way. And this is why building the right dashboards or telling them exactly what to find and where to find it, it's very, it's very important because they will learn this way and they will get more hungry for data um, the, the, the more they use it, basically. Yeah. Are there any well-known tools you use for this or is it all custom yes, builds? Yeah, we, oh, we, we use session cam for visitor recordings. We use Adobe Analytics um, for the analytics, but then we, we got a lot of like other data that comes from our database and the rest of it. So we are trying to join basically all the data sources and to manipulate the data so that it will be easily accessible to everybody. Yeah, cool. Well, th thanks so much for uh, sharing all of this uh, with us, uh, Andrea. Um, so so my, my final question for you, do you have any, any tips on books that you'd like to tip to our audience related to the audience, to the, to the topic or, oh, yeah, or course, something different? But um, So there's a couple of books that I, um, one actually it's almost done, I've, I've read it, but there's a new one that I got recently. It's called Experimentation Works from Stefan ah, yes. Tomke. Uh, let me see, Experimentation Works this one <laughs> that's it there you go there we go fanboys yes and then there's another one that i've almost read it all which is from georgi georgiev it's called statistical methods for online a b testing yeah and it's quite interesting because i like when i started there was not much uh, about the um, online uh, about the the way you you can analyze a b test so i got really interested in that and doing a lot of research and and stuff but then this book came out and it's a very yeah. good uh, book to start learning more about the statistics behind the B-test. Okay, cool. So it probably has a chapter of uh, frequentist versus Bayesian? Uh, yes. Well, <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of stuff in, in, in there, but it's very interesting. Cool. Well, thanks so much for uh, sharing. We will definitely add those uh, books in the, in the show notes. That's great. So everyone uh, can, can find them. Uh, thanks so much. Yeah, good luck with um, uh, with uh, well, what you do and then helping those uh, uh, your clients with uh, the, the transition and staying staying in the course. Talk to you soon and uh, have a good day. Bye, Guido. bye, bye. And that brings us to the second installment of our new Data Hub segments. Our sponsor, Content Square, has quite some clients and quite some data on, th on things like traffic, session time, transactions, and conversion rates split over twenty industries and a couple of other dimensions. And the amazing thing about that is that they've put that all in a public dashboard and are closely monitoring the effects of the pandemic on the on e-commerce, uh, giving us some very detailed insights how different industries are affected. In the upcoming episodes, they will have a small section in our podcast in which they will update us on the latest developments. Hi everyone, Veert from Content Square with another update on impact of coronavirus on e-commerce. This week, Consumers prepare for reopening, sporting goods and tourism gets a boost. As many countries tentatively reopen parts of the economy, here is what was happening online this week. After weeks and weeks of steady growth, digital traffic was at a standstill this past week. This slowing down of traffic barely makes a dent in the traffic gains recorded since the onset of the outbreak and the volume of visits is plus 30% higher today than it was in January and February. Transactions dropped by a slight minus 3% this past week, but the volume of sales remains much higher than before the start of quarantine. 
with a plus 44% increase across countries and industries. And after a strong rise in early March and a subsequent drop, engagement, time per session, is back to almost normal levels. As of May 6th, all stores in Germany have been allowed to reopen, which perhaps explains the minus 21% decline in digital traffic observed over the past week. Digital transactions dropped minus 17% over the same period, suggesting that many purchases are have shifted back to offline. Overall, despite this correction, the online sales volume in Germany is still up by a significant plus 48% from pre-crisis levels. Whether it's the promise of sunnier days ahead or optimism fueled by the first wave of lifted restrictions, people seem to be gearing up for more sporting and hopefully outdoor activities. Sites specializing in sporting goods saw a plus 10% increase in traffic from the previous week, contributing to a total plus 41% more visits than before the start of the crisis. Transactions were up plus 6% from the previous week, translating into plus 124% more purchases than pre-crisis. In the UK, traffic and transactions on sporting goods sites both climbed around plus 14%. France saw a more modest plus 5% traffic increase this past week, while transactions climbed up to 2%. The travel sector is still reeling from the impact of the coronavirus crisis, with minus 74% fewer visits than before the outbreak. And while transactions are down minus 85% from pre-COVID levels, they are slowly crawling back up. Last week's plus 26% increase comes on the heels of a few weeks of slow but continued growth. France is more severely hit than the UK or the US in terms of traffic, with a minus 76 decline in the volume of visits compared to minus 69% for the UK and minus 71% for the US. The UK is suffering the biggest decrease in transactions, minus 92% compared to minus 83% in both France and the US. Domestic travel players are understandably doing better than those offering primarily international travel in terms of transactions, with a minus 79% drop in sales compared to minus 90% for international trip planners. In fact, the strongest progression this week came from domestic travel and most notably vacation bookings plus 72% week on week, train travel plus 45% and hotel sites plus 41% while air travel did not progress, showing that consumers are starting to make domestic travel plans for the summer. In any case, Growing engagement over the past month signifies people are tentatively looking for the future and perhaps dreaming once again of their next escape. While the average time per session is still minus 25% below pre-quarantine levels, it has climbed up 10% since April 10. Visits to furniture and do-it-yourself stores were down minus 10% this past week with transactions also dipping minus 12%. It could be that the wave of home improvement observed back in April has finally subsided and that consumers have made the necessary adjustments to transform their home space into their everything space. 
Sites specializing in consumer electronics also saw fewer visits this past week, down minus 7% from the previous week, and a minus 9% drop in purchases. Here too, it appears that consumers have moved past the equipment phase of quarantine and are either all set for laptops, gaming and home entertainment, or have their thoughts to other pursuits. Thanks for listening again this week and see you soon. Thanks so much for being on the show, Andrea. And for everyone else, as always, the show notes for this episode can be found on our website. This was episode 21 of season 2 of Zero Cafe with Andrea Corvi from iTech Media. Although we started out as a Dutch podcast, we are putting out more and more English content. If you want to skip all the Dutch gobbledygook, please go to zero.cafe slash English to see an overview of our English episodes and to subscribe to get only notified when we publish new English episodes. Uh, in next week's episode, I'll be talking to Morgan Ledge from Convert.com. She has many roles at the company, but one of them is a Holacracy Bootstrapper. I've personally never worked in a Holacracy organization before, but I'm very interested in how that all plays out and might give you some interesting ideas on how to structure your team or company, giving more autonomy to employees and making life as a zero hopefully much, much better. Talk to you next week and always be optimizing.